This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Today on the Luke Thomas Show, we're going to talk about John Jones giving up his light heavyweight belt and going to heavyweight, what all that means. Having a big win at UFC 252, Daniel Pineda joins us to talk about all of that. And I've got legitimately, and I'm not exaggerating, maybe some of the best news about COVID and testing, and it comes from the sports world. How about that? The Luke Thomas Show airs weekdays at 1 p.m. East Coast time right here on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Don't forget about the mailbag, Show at gmail.com. All right, happy Tuesday to everybody. I hope you are doing well. I know that I am. I am excited to be here. Um, we have a lot to get to today with news that I did not think was necessarily in the cards for us, but turns out that is exactly what has happened. Um, John Jones actually is the one making all the news. Kind of funny, right? Before we get into all of it, <laughs> here it is, Daniel Cormier's retirement, you know? Not not like official. I mean, he didn't make it official official, but it was, you know, the more or less retirement. And John Jones still upstaging him, huh? You know, I don't know if it's intentional. I doubt it's like, my thought on this is I doubt it's intentional, but it's probably an added bonus <laughs> for John. He probably sees it like, listen, I mean, I wasn't exactly planning to do it this way, but if this is how the cookie crumbles, oh, well, I have a hunch that that's really sort of what it all is. Um, can't prove that. You know, and really, it's not the most important part of the story, but it is to me a little bit funny. All right, so what is the story? Well, yesterday, John Jones took to Twitter and out of nowhere began to share some what appeared to be pretty important news, actually. Now, what might that news be? Well, I shall tell you. All right, so he shared that he was having some conversations, pardon me, with the UFC. And at first, we thought it was like nothing but bad news, but that's not exactly true. So here is what he said. Um, okay. Quote, just got off the phone with UFC. Today, I confirm that I'm vacating the light heavyweight championship. It is officially up for grabs. It's been an amazing journey. Sincere thank you to all of my competition, UFC, and most importantly, you fans. The last I spoke with UFC, this is the next tweet, about my salary, there was no negotiating. If that ever changes, I'd love to come back and compete again as a heavyweight. Until then, I'll be enjoying UFC as a fan and doing my best to take care of my family and community. And he links some local project. In good faith, I will be staying in the testing pool, talking about the USADA testing pool, uh, for probably the next half year or so. So it sounds like 2020, something like that. I'll continue to lift weights and train uh, all the different martial arts. Then about an hour passes. And in that hour, he writes the following. Just had a really positive conversation with UFC. Sounds like there will be negotiations for my next fight at heavyweight. All good news. The weight gaining process begins. Um, you know, and then he goes on a series of taunts, blah, 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 blah. Says you saw to stop by this morning. 
Someone tells him, you should have had a rematch with Reyes and then vacate. And he says, bro, there's always going to be another guy waiting for his turn. I've been doing this S for too long. I've been giving people a chance for over a decade. Very few have come close. All have failed. Um, he says, if, then someone asks, if Dominic became champion, would you be interested in a rematch? He says, reminds me of when I fought Gus, did a great job against me, became really famous, and then when it was time to prove he was uh, more than that, he proved he was just like the rest. Uh, you know, and then he goes on to some series of taunts and blah, blah, blah. Okay. You get the idea at that point. So now you have been brought up to speed. To be clear, there has been no official word related to this particular development from the UFC. But yesterday, Brett Okamoto of ESPN had written that the UFC was looking at making a Jan Blahovich and Dominic Reyes fight. And that, that was prior to all of John's tweeting. And in that tweet, he writes... Um, let me see if I can get it up here for you. A 205-pound bout between Dominic Reyes and Jan Blahovich is in the works for September 26th. That's that UFC 253 card with Izzy and Costa headlining it. The fight is nearly agreed to, but the stakes are being worked out. Again, this preceded all of John's tweets. UFC is working with current champ John Jones right now to figure out his next move. So I guess he vacated it. They have not officially announced that Reyes versus Blahovich is for the title or for the interim title or anything like that. It seems like that is inevitable, but to be clear, they have not announced that. And as a side note, which we'll get to later, uh, Brett Okamoto also reporting that Anthony Rumble Johnson is going to re-enter the UFC's mandatory drug testing uh, this program this week in anticipation of a comeback per his manager. Right now, the plan is to come back as a light heavyweight. We'll get to the rumble angle a little bit later in the show. Now you are caught up mostly on the news. There is a lot to unpack here. So let's just begin to unpack it. 877-FIGHT-93, 877-344. What is your reaction to this news? What should happen at light heavyweight? Where are you on uh, John getting a title shot? There's a lot of different sort of factors here. I'll tell you where I want to sort of put the conversation. I'd love to get your general reaction, but I would like to put the conversation on what this means for Stipe. Because if John Jones is actually going up there, how are they going to handle this? How should they handle this? Should they now make the Stipe John Jones fight? Is that the way to do this? Or perhaps there is another way. 877-FIGHT-93, 877-344-4893. What is the right answer in dealing with this situation? John wants to go to heavyweight. How do we now plan for his arrival at heavyweight? Does he immediately skip the line and go to Stipe? Or do you do it? the way you're supposed to, and I'm putting supposed to in air quotes here because we all know that supposed to only means the convenience of what you want to do, but okay. And give Francis the title shot. Four victories in a row, two over former champs. I think at least two over former champs. Is, is that the direction you move here? 877-FIGHT-93, 
344-4893. I have to tell you, before we even get into all this, I'll tell you where my head is at. You know what this really reminds me of? It's a little bit different, but it sort of reminds me of it. It reminds me of what GSP did at Welterweight. Now, GSP, when he was done after fighting Johnny Hendricks, that was his last welterweight bout. He took four years off from the sport. Okay, well, John's not doing that. In that sense, they're, they're totally divorced from one another. But what I mean to say is the following. I thought Johnny Hendricks won that contest. And I think a lot of folks felt that way. And he didn't. The judges gave it to St. Pierre. But suffice to say, the writing was kind of on the wall at that point for him. And, and he was totally burned out. And he said, you know what? I've had enough. I'm just going to call it a day on this thing. And he said, I'm not really retiring, but it's retiring for now. I'm going to give the title back to the welterweight division and let you donks fight over it. Now, he took a long hiatus, as I mentioned, but then came back up a weight class and fought for a title. Here we have John Jones, who I thought, you know, I know some folks thought Tiago Santos beat him. I think the case for that is not that you can't make it. I just feel like the one for Dominic Reyes is significantly stronger. You know, you, I've always been a huge fan of John's game, whatever our difference is. I, I don't know how you can't be if you like fight sports. But that is the first time I have ever scored a fight in real time against him. It's never happened to me before. I did not score the Santos fight against him or the Gustafson fight or any other fight. I'd never, I'd never done it. Maybe you have. I'd never done it. The Reyes fight was the first time I was like, you know what? I think someone finally got him. I think someone finally got him. I wonder, and I am merely speculating, but I, am, I wonder if there is a part of John like there was a part of St. Pierre that was A, burned out, and B, more to the point, realizing that, you know what? These dogs down here, they're starting to make, they're starting to make some gains on me. This is not as easy as it used to be by virtue of age and the game changing and, you know, there being just innumerable amounts of tape on John. I mean, how many 25-minute fights has he had in a row at this point? And so they say, you know what? Let me go up somewhere else. Let me see if I can get a bigger fight with the right opportunity. And, you know, they're still good fighters. I mean, they can still go down to 205 or their original weight classes and win, but it's starting to get a lot harder than it used to be. So why don't I just do something else? Go up a weight class, get some vanity fights, you know, see what happens there. Feels the overlap there feels so similar. But now we want to figure out what you're going to do. Because what St. Pierre did was he just said, you know, what? I'm going to take four years off. I'm going to, going to chill. I'm going to sit on my Millie. Going to wait till the right opportunity comes up. Found one of Michael Bisping, I guess, and then took it. Jones is looking to get right to work. He last fought in February. So this is not the same level of sabbatical here. He is still, it seems to be now, not really an active part of the UFC, but now the UFC's heavyweight division. Hey, everyone. This is Lisa Ann, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, The Lisa Ann Experience. This is my chance to share with you my experiences, past and present, including how I went from living in the fantasy world of adult films to talking fantasy sports on Sirius XM. Each week, I'll introduce you to some of the people I've met on my journey and invite friends on to help me read through the endless ridiculousness that lands in my inbox. New episodes are available every Wednesday on the SiriusXM app and Apple Podcasts. All right, let's go to him now. I think he joins us via the magic of Zoom. Had a triumphant return. I mean, there's no other way to describe it. To the UFC with a huge win over Herbert Burns. 
uh, at UFC 252. It is the one and only Daniel Pineda. Hi, Daniel. How are you? Hey, what's up, brother? There he is. Look at that crisp connection with the shades on and the whole nine yards. How are you, Daniel? I'm doing good, brother. I don't want you to see my eye, man, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Give us the uh, medical update. What did they say about it? Uh, nothing, man. They just gave me 18 stitches. He opened it up pretty good. Was it? Were you worried if you didn't get that stoppage with the crucifix that they might not let the fight continue? Because it was swollen pretty bad. Oh yeah, he closed my eye up. I mean, he closed it up right away with the uh, with that knee. You know, when I threw that overhand right, I couldn't yeah. see. At that point, I couldn't really see no more. And then he finished it off with that right hand. I guess I need to start working on some head movement or something. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Maybe 40 fights in. That's a good idea. Uh, obviously, I'm yeah. teasing. Well, congratulations, Daniel. What a phenomenal performance. So let's talk about this. How did the call come to you to get back to the UFC? Uh, my, my manager, Jason, you know, he just told me to try to stay ready, you know, and uh, it happened like a month ago, man, and it wasn't happening. So I'm like, nah. So I just didn't stay ready. I just I trained a little bit, not a lot, you know. I go to the gym, work out. Next thing you know, he called me. He's like, all right, you want to take this fight? And I'm like, yes. I was like, but are you? is it a for sure thing? He's not like, no, it's a sure thing. I was like, oh, crap. I got to freaking train. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, man, he hit me up two weeks before the fight. And I told him yes. That's wild. And he, he didn't make weight, not your manager, obviously, but the opponent, and you did. How hard was it to make that weight? Oh, man, it was hard, you know. Uh, it, it was really hard. I was cramping up, you know, 27 pounds in two weeks, one hard week of training. I mean, it's, it's not easy, you know. It takes a lot on your body. That's why I was scared of my cardio. That's why I was trying to stay calm. Yeah, you know what's so funny? Did you go back and watch the fight yet? Have you, uh, with sound and everything? I haven't found, no, I haven't seen, I've seen like videos of it, like, but you can't really hear it because I hear people screaming in the background whenever I'm like, I guess they recorded it themselves. <laughs> okay, you should do that because the commentators noted a couple of things. One was how relaxed you did look. They didn't draw any conclusion about that being a, a function of the weight cut. They just were like, well, the guy's, you know, so experienced. It's the second time he's been in the UFC. He sort of knows. But I'm wondering about that, right? Like, it's the, you're an experienced vet at this point. Maybe you were trying to preserve your cardio, but was another part of it just like, man, I, I know what this is like at this point. Yeah, you know, I have so many fights. It was, I just, I have to stay calm, you know, especially with somebody that good, you know, uh, as a jiu-jitsu guy, I can't make a mistake, you know, and I talked to my camp. I'm like, man, all right. I was like, yeah, I ain't got to scream nothing now. You just got to tell me to stay calm, calm down and breathe. And yeah, I mean, they did good, you know, telling me to calm down. They calmed me down. And even when he had my back, I mean, I was like, oh, shit, he has my back. But, you know, I, I paid them on jiu-jitsu, man, that four-ounce jiu-jitsu. You know, we're pretty good over there, too. Yeah, no doubt about it. Let's talk about a couple of things. First, what went right for you with the ground and pound? Man, you were tearing him up. It was weird, though. I was like, why is Pineda taking Burns down and getting into his guard? But it worked out for you. I, I've always known you had good ground and pound, but I guess I thought, you know what? Herbert Burns is a different animal, but I guess he wasn't in the end. Were you always knowing you were going to take him down and get into his guard? Yeah, I mean, I knew the the, the fight was going to end up in the ground. So, man, I have I have confidence in my ground, you know. And uh, yeah, I knew I knew it was going to end up in the ground. I didn't know it was going to be that quick because I couldn't freaking see. But 
because, you know, I need to hold on to him because I really couldn't see with my left eye. So I was like, you know what, let me just take him down. And as soon as I felt him, I was like, okay, you know, he's good. But I mean, I think I'm good here, you know, just I just got to yeah. be careful. Don't make no mistakes. Pretty, pretty clearly you were. And, he, you know, it was interesting. There was a point there where uh, you may have even had a knee up or so. I cannot remember. But he had his head and neck pressed into the fence. And he was working from guard. And you were just drilling him. Was there, was there a point in the fight where you were like, this is actually a little bit easier than I thought it would be? I wouldn't say easier, but, I, I, yeah, I was expecting for him to do a little bit more, you know? I mean, I guess right? I, I, get, I, I kept a lot of pressure on him, so he couldn't really move his hips to throw up some submissions, and he did throw him up. He almost got me in a triangle, like twice, I think. Yeah, but he didn't. That's the key, that's the key thing. He didn't. Uh all right, so Daniel Pineda joins us here on the Luke Thomas Show. Let's talk about, there was a moment there, it was just so impressive to me, Daniel. Uh, he had your back, and you had created some asymmetry. I think you were getting your shoulder blades to the mat, so we all know what happens. He's going to move to mount, and you posted either on a hand or an elbow with, I think, your left, and then you framed off of him on the other side and then twisted on top. Dude, I got to tell you, you know what was so impressive? The core strength was impressive. The timing on that was impressive. With your limited one week, was that something you had worked, or is that just in the Daniel Pineda back pocket at all times? It's in the back pocket, man. We work on it a lot. You know, at France, I mean, we just work on it, man. It's just, I do it so much, it just comes, you know? Did you feel like you were stronger than him physically? Yes, and I know he was bigger than me, but I felt stronger. How could you tell? Like, give me an example. Um, as soon as I felt him in the ground, when I was controlling him, I was like, okay, I'm, 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 you know, like, like I just felt stronger. He had a good, good grip. Like his grip was crazy. I guess just people have really good grips, you know, his grip was really good, but I felt stronger. Like, like he couldn't hold me down. And when he was in my back, I mean, he just couldn't keep me there, you know? And I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess that's how kind of, you know, and then when I took him down, it was pretty easy, you know, like with my takedown, it was pretty easy. I was right. like, oh. Okay, I feel a little stronger than this guy, you know. Fair enough. Now, then you eventually finished off with the crucifix. Uh, walk us through the finish there, setting it up. Again, the crucifix, obviously, you're very gifted at it. Did you know that was going to be there? Or between rounds, did your coach tell you to look for it? How, how did it end up that the fight was finished that way? I was in, I think I was in half guard. I was in half guard. I was pounding him, pounding him. I was like, man, let me try to pass half guard, you know, because I wasn't going to go to mount because he's very good. When you when you go to mount, he throws you off and he goes for your freaking leg locks. You know, they're really good at leg locks. So I wasn't planning on going to mount. That was one thing I trained. Don't go to mount. Freaking leg locks. So as soon as I, I started passing, he tried to like grab on. I just grabbed his freaking wrist, pulled it down and crucified him. Man, I, it, was, it was just there. You know, he gave it to me. It was there and I just went for it. Once I, once somebody gets in that position, man, it's hard to get me off. And I've, I've, I've trained with a lot bigger people than me and even them, they can't take me off of the crucifix. What was he, what noises was he making when you were drilling him from that position? <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! Because uh, the because the commentators. Here's the thing: the commentators. We could hear like, um, you know, muffled screams or something, but it was hard because the commentators were like, "Oh my God, it's happening! There, here's the end. This is really bad." So like they were talking over it, and we could hear you, you know, drilling the elbows. Did you? Know, I guess what I'm asking is, could you tell based on what he was doing that the end was near? Yeah, 
Yes. I mean, like, he wasn't, he was fighting, like, I'm not going to say he was fighting back to, like, try to, like, he was fighting not to get hit, you know? So, I mean, I felt like they should have, I mean, it should have stopped a little bit earlier than that because I was landing elbows, even though I got these little boo-boo elbows that don't cut nobody. They just hurt. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. yeah, I was landing a lot of elbows. I'm like, man, just, you know, let, let's, uh, I wanted them to stop it, you know, because, I mean, I, I don't, you know, I don't like, freaking elbowing somebody freaking 14 15 times to the face you know that 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 sucks you know yeah you rather win with one clean shot right yeah man you know knock them out that's it you know but me keep on elbowing them elbowing i'm like god bless like i feel bad you know when i was in top i was like (laughs) i want to keep on elbowing them you know but he keeps on moving like just stop moving for a second let the ref stop it and yeah i mean he i mean he was he was moving around but like he was moving around to like don't stop you know like don't hit me no more, you know? So if I had, yeah, would, what's up? Go ahead. Finish your thought. I apologize. Oh, uh, he was making noise. He was making noise. A lot of noises, you know, and that's when the ref should have stepped in, you know, when he was making them noises, you know, he wasn't tapping, but he was making them noises pretty much saying, no oh, shit, stop the fight, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. Isn't the rule in jujitsu where like, you can say tap, you can physically tap. And also if you mm-hmm. just scream in pain, don't they intervene? Yes. But he would right. scream, he, you know, just making noises. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Hey, if I had told you after your loss to Robert Whiteford in March of 2014, it would be six years before you get back to the UFC. What would you have told me? Man, I thought it was gonna be. I, I thought it was gonna be a lot sooner. I fell in my prime. Man, I, I think I hit my prime maybe like about a year ago. You know, I felt really good about a year, year and a half ago. I felt like I was putting everything together, but I thought it would be sooner. And then I had a couple of freaking losses, like the Georgia fight. You know, they stopped it to a cut. I mean, I should have won that one. Emmanuel fight, I think I won two rounds. You know, I should have won that one. So I should be like an 11 win streak right now. But, you know, it shit happens. I mean, I needed probably a little bit more time to get in the UFC. And I mean, I feel good, man. I feel, I feel really good. I feel like this is the perfect time for me to be in the UFC. So what went wrong the first time? You did get a win there. You get the Justin Lawrence Kimura, which is a nice win, certainly for April of 2013. What went wrong? You just got to the UFC too early? Man, I, I was young. I was young. I mean, I won three three fights in the UFC, but I did lose four. You know, I lost four, but I was taking the fights. Oh, right, yep. I was literally taking the fights, like, two-week notice, week notice, you know, mistakes like that. I had to take this one in a short notice because I wanted to get back in, you know. I'm not going to say no. But when I first got into UFC, it was more like, you want to fight? Hell yeah. You want to fight? Yeah, because I won my first two, and I'm like, yeah, I'll fight. Yeah, I'll fight two weeks, week, you know. And uh, I didn't really – I had hurt ankles. Literally, no, like, my ankles were gone. And now, man, I'm, I'm healthy right now, well, except my But I'm healthy right now. I feel good, you know. I feel like I can make a good run in the UFC right now. What was wrong with your ankles? One of my buddies, uh, one of my good friends, Joe Trevino, he freaking, I showed him a leg lock. He did it to me. I didn't want to tap. And it was being, it was gone for like the whole UFC career. I had messed up ankles and I was just taking fights. You know, I took what, four fights in six months. You know, I never healed up. Jesus. And you're good to go now. Ankle injuries are hard. I've, I had a bunch of them from basketball. They're hard to heal, man. Oh, no, they're, they're, they're super hard, especially if you don't have time to rest them. You know, like I wasn't resting. I was literally, I fight, get back in the gym, 
fight again in freaking two weeks. You know, I, I mean, but, you know, I was young. I liked the money. I was like, shit, keep paying me. Let's go. But that cost me, you know, freaking four losses. No doubt about it. So, so now you're in a, a bit of a different position in your career, a true veteran. You faced so many good guys. Where does this win rank in terms of, I'm not like best win or whatever like that, but I mean, in terms of satisfying wins, where do you put this one? Man, it felt good. You know, there, there was so much hype, you know, and literally if you go like to any website, you know, Pineda, freaking 5%, 3%, him 90-something percent. You know, like everybody was saying he was going to kill me, that he was going to submit me. I wanted to submit him. <laughs> I want, <laughs> I did want to submit him because I wanted to prove a point, you know. Like, I guess people don't think I got good jiu-jitsu or something. I mean, I got, what, about 19 submissions? But I guess they don't have no faith in my jits. <laughs> Well, they might after this, or certainly in your ability to be a successful ground operator. What are they telling you in terms of a timetable for the eye being healed and ready to rock? Uh, I got 45 days with no contact. And uh, as soon as those 45 days hits, I take my stitches off, I think in 10 days. As soon as I take the stitches off, man, I'm going to start training and I'm going to try to get back in there, man. I want to get back in there before December. Oh, so you definitely, you have, uh, you have your plans on another 2020 fight. Oh, yeah. I didn't, I, I want to say I don't want to fight because, you know, I like when the fans are there, you know, the fans actually help you, you know, fight, you know, they, all the screaming, all the booing, even if they boo you, you know, it, it helps you out, man, you know, it gets you in a fight, you know, it's really quiet over here, you can hear literally every punch you throw, you can hear their coaches, I was hearing their coaches at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> what was that like? What were they saying? Uh, nothing just push forward and you know like i mean they're saying the news there and stuff like that but i mean i was trying not to listen too much you know but i mean it's, it's so quiet in there you know it's so quiet you just hear everything that's what i told my coaches it's cheer <laughs> they're gonna right. hear everything you know just have fun we're here to you know i train enough you know and can't really say too much you know like i've been there enough i trained enough our game plan is going to get put to the test, you know? Uh, I don't want to uh, speak for you, so maybe tell me if this is right or wrong. So this would be your fourth win in the UFC. You beat Mack and Simmersire, a guy from not from my part of the country. You beat Pat Schilling, Justin Lawrence, and now Herbert Burns. But it still seems to me like you didn't get a chance to get, like, we haven't seen peak Daniel Pineda in the UFC, right? That That's what you're sort of hunting for at this point. Yeah, man, I, I want to get a couple of good fights, man. I want to, you know, I, I want to really show everybody what I got. You know, I, I want to show them that I'm in my prime and I'm here to freaking, you know, make a statement, make all these fools stop freaking doubting me. Well, you know what? You made a big uh, effort and a successful effort in that regard, getting uh, to that place with this huge win at UFC 252. Congratulations, Daniel. What a win for you. Uh, heal up the eye. Don't be spending all that bonus money in one place. Save a little bit of it there. You know what I mean? But uh, enjoy it too. Uh, thanks, but now I'm looking for a house right now, man. I'm going to put that for a down payment for another house. <laughs> good, good, good for you. You should. Congratulations, Daniel. Thank you for your time today. Can't wait to see you again. Thank you, guys. You have a good one. There he is, Daniel Pineda. Radio is Sirius XM's home for Australian rules football. Walked into all stars. Oh, Join us 
Australian media icon Eddie Maguire for Aussie Football Rules America as he brings you the latest celebrity chats, tips and expert analysis of Australian football. Then stay tuned for the Aussie Rules Game of the Week. Kick the goal and Fremantle win it after the siren. It all starts Thursday at 6pm Eastern on Dan Patrick Radio Channel 211 and the Sirius XM app. You guys know that I was one of the early skeptics, critics of the UFC's effort to get going when the pandemic was first raging in March and April. And again, we're not going to relitigate all of it. What the UFC is doing now is great. What they were doing before was abhorrent, which is, you know, they went and did an event with no COVID testing after the whole world had sport flooded uh, shut down. And they tried to do another one back to back. And then they tried to get around commission oversight. And it was just awful. But those days are behind us. And everything now, I think, is great. And um, we have talked about what is the similarity between what the UFC does and the NBA does, also the NHL and some various other players. Uh, when I say players, I mean um, sports leagues throughout the world. It's the bubble format. Look, as long as the coronavirus is just sort of out there among us in high enough numbers, the best way for a sports league to have an event and events and a season, really, is going to be through the use of a bubble. That's what the evidence tells us thus far. And in fact, it looks like Major League Baseball, for their playoffs, they are, they are looking into the idea of having a playoff bubble, which after their initial start of complete jackassery, probably a good idea. I think most of us might agree. Okay. I have great news for everybody. It has nothing to do with the bubble per se, but it will be a big benefit to sports. Frankly, I have a feeling it's going to be a big benefit to society. But it has to do with sports. Did you guys hear that there is a new coronavirus test? And I should note that the U.S. Food and Drug Administration gave authorization for public use of this test. So this is not just something somebody cooked up in a lab and it creates for a nice headline, but it won't you know, be involved in the public for a year or two. No, 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 no. Right away. Now, they have to make enough of these tests to, dis- to disperse them, so that's the limiting factor. But the government gave approval already. It was a test created by Yale University and funded, ready for this, by the NBA. Also, the NBA uh, Players Association. They funded this test, and this is why it's so critical. You don't have to stick a swab into your brain or the back of your throat. It's a saliva test. You can just spit into a receptacle of some kind, and that's it. Here's the deal with this thing. This is why it's such a game changer. Number one, it's not invasive as a test. Number two, FDA already cleared it for public use. Not just private use, public use. Number three, you want to know how much it costs to collect a, a, a sample and do the test? $4. You know how much a normal coronavirus test costs, the one with the big swab up your nose? 150 You could do 11, no, more than that. You could do 100 of those tests nearly. Well, that's not right either. You could do, my math is off right now. Uh, you could do, let's see, you could do 30 of these tests. Sorry, I'm a little bit closer. And you would get uh, to that point. Pretty close. I don't know. I can't think. I haven't slept in a week. The point being is it is a fraction of the cost. 
$4 versus $150. Now, if you've had a coronavirus test, you might be like, oh, I didn't pay that much. I paid $60 or $70. Some places have an ability to have that cost reduced based on forms of insurance coverage or whatever the state may or may not be incurring in terms of charge. But the, the test itself, someone is someone in that supply chain is paying $150. So you might be asking, okay, wait, wait a second. FDA approved it, ready for public use, $4 versus $150. And it's a saliva-based test. That sounds great, but what is so critical about that? Well, number one, any accredited laboratory across the country can process this test. You don't have to have special equipment for it. It's ready to go in wide usage. Beyond that, you get the results back in hours. Worst case scenario, they're saying, worst case scenario they're saying 24, but it should be only within a few hours, two to three hours. You can spit in a jar or whatever it is, pay, pay let's say I'll even double the cost, pay 10 bucks, pay five bucks. You can get your results in a few hours and you can repeat this process over and over again because it's free. And you might be saying, well, wait a second, isn't somebody trying to make money off of this? The company that was created behind it, because uh, the test itself is called Saliva Direct, is uh, not trying to make money from it. They are only set up to facilitate at cost, widespread dispersal of the test, not just to the NBA, but to anybody who can pay for it, uh, blah, 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 blah. Listen to this. Andy Slavitt, the acting administrator of the Centers for Medical, excuse me, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services during the Obama administration, circulated the Yale results among former FDA commissioners in hopes of guiding a faster emergency use approval, which, by the way, worked. Quote, um, let's see. My interest was to help get a low-cost, scalable test that can be a game-changer across the country. It's great to see the NBA emerge as a leader in these uh, uh, efforts. So when is this all going to roll out? The answer is apparently immediately. Everyone was skeptical, like, is there research behind this? And, you know, blah, 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 blah. Like, people are really going to get into it? And the answer is yes. Uh, the league is still using nasal swabs on players, but here's what they write on ESPN. The potential for rapid return, cheap, and easy-to-administer saliva tests may have implications for the structure of the 2020-2021 NBA season, sources said. Any return to normalcy, let's say teams traveling to 28 home markets, the presence of even some token number of fans to offset revenue losses, is dependent on testing becoming easily available. This could be a step in that direction. Yale and the NBA have already spoken to a national lab company by using robotic technology to speed up the processing of, of tests, sources said. Both parties are interested in the potential of pool saliva testing, combining samples from several people and testing them together. Any positive result would then require individual testing. Uh, through some miracle, this is working, an NBA executive said. It's sensitive, it's cheap, and now it's getting approval. I'm not quite sure how we ended up here from April, but we are here. Folks, I know I've been the arbiter of, uh, not arbiter, I should say, I've been the harbinger of bad news around coronavirus because, hello, it's been nothing but bad news. 170,000 Americans are dead. Schools are open in some places. Others are not. Our seasons are kind of all over the place. You know, fights fall through in this world all the time because of COVID, and they can only be in Las Vegas with no fans or, you know, Abu Dhabi or whatever. It sucks. This sucks. 
and I've been pro mask, but listen, let's talk about the reality of wearing a mask. It's not fun. It blows. I don't like it. I don't think any of you like it either. It sucks. It is not fun. It's hard to breathe. It's not that hard that you have to be a complete sissy about it, but it's, you know, obviously taking it off is a lot better. Right? It's been a lot of just bad news. Well, here is some great news. This is great news. The more we can get to, I mean, think about the implications of having a test you can turn around without invasion into your body within a matter of hours. And you could do it over and over and over again because it's so cheap. It creates for logistical headaches in terms of making sure you still have the appropriate bubbles and layers of screening and uh, you know all the different things you have to have to make sure there's not cross-contamination. Fine. But at the same time, look at how much faster, cheaper, easier, and scalable this thing is. And the people who are doing it are not trying to make a profit from it. And the NBA funded it, and Yale made it happen. Folks, there are not many times where I'm like, oh, you know, there's been good news. And I know some of the news around the vaccines and how everything is progressing at the human trials is going well. You know, I'm still cautiously optimistic for what, you know, I don't know what anything about human trials, but I'm just saying the news appears to be good, appears to be. Well, this is just flat out good news. You don't have to be a genius to understand this. It's a cheap test the public can have. You can administer and have quick turnarounds. And then you can do it over and over and over and over and over again. What is wrong with that? That is great. That is legitimately great news. And here's what you know. Someone is going to improve upon this technology. That might take a little bit of time, but still. This is a whole lot better than getting a swab stuck up your brain. And then taking 24 hours, three days, five days, seven days for a turnaround. What makes a pregnancy test work? Think about that for a second. Why do pregnancy tests work? I can get on my bicycle, or depending on where you live, walk out of my front door. I can walk to the CVS. I can walk into the CVS. I can pay a few dollars for a test sitting on the shelf. Go home. Have your significant other, if you're a dude anyway, or whatever. The woman in the house... Obviously, urinate on it. That's the way it works. And then you get a result instantly or within a few minutes anyway. Think about what that means. They are available enough to be on shelves everywhere. They are cheap enough that most people can afford them. And the results come quickly, and it's not an invasive process to get there. Now, I'm not saying the saliva test has all the things that we enjoy about a pregnancy test, but a pregnancy test sort of shows us what the standard is. Folks, Imagine if you could go down to your local CVS or Walgreens, grab a COVID, grab like a pack of COVID tests, 10 COVID tests off the rack, right? Pay 50 bucks and you can go home and you could spit in it and get results in five minutes. Think about how much more flexibility your life would have. Would we be defeating the coronavirus at that point? No, we would not. It would still be with us. But you would have so much more information and knowledge upon which to make decisions. People don't want to hang out with their friends because even though you haven't had COVID this whole time and they haven't had COVID this whole time, you have no idea that if you meet up, the other person doesn't have COVID because they might and they may be asymptomatic and blah, blah, blah. You know the whole story. 
Imagine if you could call each other, get on, or even show up to the park together. Spit in these things. Look at them. You're good. You're good. Okay, let's hang out. Let's high five. Let's bro hug. Let's let's do a keg stand together. You could bring back keg stands, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. That's what I'm talking about. You want a COVID test in the same way you have a pregnancy test. Plentiful at scale, easily accessible, cheap to buy, easy to use, quick results. That's the holy grail of testing, not treatment per se. There's a whole other, you know, side of the story there. But for testing, the closer we can get to pregnancy tests, buddy, we will be in business. Can you imagine? And we're making progress. We're not there, but we make huge, huge progress with this test. And the further progress we make, I've said it before, you can have more COVID or you can have more normal. You cannot have both. Well, this helps us figure out and easily get to more normal. I applaud the NBA and Yale and Saliva Direct and everyone who made this possible. Let's keep it going. Good news on the COVID front. Thanks for listening. Catch the Luke Thomas Show live and in its entirety weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. On Twitter, follow at L Thomas News and the channel at MMA on Sirius XM.